My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Today we are wrapping up our series called The Truth is Out There. We've been talking about truth. Why does it matter? We've talked about wisdom. We've talked about knowledge. And today we're going to be talking about false knowledge. We're going to be talking about false gospels and false teaching and diving into that. And so if this is your first time checking out Grand Valley Church, I hope that this is a message that helps you maybe understand more about who Jesus is and why we believe in him, even as we talk about things about Jesus that aren't true. And the reason we're talking about this series is that when Jesus talked about truth, Jesus is calling his followers to live in a way that our words and our actions do not need any further assurance that we're speaking the truth. People should be able to recognize that we're speaking the truth in everything we do. We shouldn't need to guarantee it or make a vow. We just need to live truth. Because if we can't live truth in our own lives, why would anyone listen when we talk about Jesus? And I want to start things off with this quote by a philosopher and professor of philosophy and education who wrote this in a book. He said, the real enemy of truth is not ignorance, doubt, or even disbelief. It is false knowledge. And so we're talking about false knowledge. How do we recognize when something is false? How do we recognize when something isn't true? And it's easy, in, especially in 2020, it's easy to get duped by satire, by fake news, by propaganda. So how do we recognize this? And this isn't a problem just for followers of Jesus. This is a problem that all of us face on a regular basis. But what I found interesting as I was researching this is that there was a study done in 2018 where a group of researchers presented people with 12 real news headlines and 12 made-up news headlines. And they were trying to see if there was things that could predict why people recognize things as true and why people recognize the headlines that were false as being true. And so one of their findings stood out to me, and it was this in their summary. They said that exploratory analysis showed that dogmatic individuals and religious fundamentalists we're also more likely to believe false, but not true news. They're actually pointing out that people who self-identified as having faith were had a more difficult time recognizing the things that were false. They were more likely to believe that the false headlines were true. Now, I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist. I'm a pastor, and so I'm not going to dive into why people of faith may get duped by fake news easier because I don't have the research to back that up. It would just be my opinions. But instead, being a pastor, my role is to shepherd people to learn about who Jesus is, to understand who he is, to talk about faith, and to equip the church for ministry. That's my role. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the fake news that predates social media by about 2,000 years. And if you want to get technical with me for a second, fake news predates things way more than 2,000 years. In fact, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, the third chapter of Genesis is the first time we see fake news and false knowledge being presented right in the Garden of Eden. But today we're going to narrow in on just the first century. But in order to talk about false gospels and fake news, we need to start by talking about what is good news. What actually is the gospel? And the gospel simply means good news. It's the message of what Jesus has done, about how Jesus stepped into the world and gave himself as a sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with 
Jesus. And what happened after Jesus' death and resurrection is that the church started to be filled with evangelists. And a person who is an evangelist is someone who is a, a bearer of good news. And so the early apostles, Jesus' disciples, and these evangelists would go and travel from city to city telling people about that Jesus really was the Messiah, about what he had accomplished and what he had done. But what happened is that as the early church grew, people started to realize that they could exploit and take advantage of these early churches. And so what happened is that these false gospels started being spread. People realized that they could take the message of Jesus and they could warp it and twist it. They could use it to take advantage of churches for their own personal greed, their own, maybe they wanted prestige or power. For whatever their reasons were, they were able to exploit these churches. And so these false teachers would often modify the gospel to suit themselves. They would remove things that were harder or they would do things to try to make it more appealing. And so this became a massive problem in the early church because people were getting swept into these false gospels and false versions of Jesus that were being preached. And the problem with this is that instead of pursuing Jesus to discover how deep our faith can be, sometimes we'll soothe ourselves with a counterfeit version of God. And the New Testament letters, the latter part of our scripture, the later the letter was written, the more likely it talks about false news because this was a massive problem in the early church. And a couple of these letters we call the pastoral letters. They were letters written from one church leader to the next generation of church leaders. And so Paul wrote these letters to two guys, Timothy and Titus. And Timothy and Titus were both people that he was equipping and training to take over Paul's role. And so when Paul opens the letter that he writes to Timothy, he opens it this way. He says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Paul summarizes, this is why you're in Ephesus. You need to stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth because we want the truth about Jesus to win out. Because false teaching is an issue that threatens the integrity and credibility of our faith in Jesus. In fact, that might sound like an overstatement, but I really don't think it is. Because if you look at the last 2,000 years of church history, a lot of times the abuses and mistakes and awful things that were done in the name of Jesus were done because of a root of false teaching. In fact, if we don't know the truth about who Jesus is, if we don't know the truth about his teachings and his way of life, it becomes that much easier to violate the ethical and the moral beliefs that we have as followers of Jesus. So dealing with false teaching is an important thing that the church has to do and has continued to do even from the first century. Now, sometimes false teaching happens completely by mistake. There's no malicious intent behind it. It's just maybe we didn't read something right or, or maybe we misunderstood something and it led us down a path that kind of veered us off of what is orthodox teaching, right teaching about who Jesus is and the way that he taught. And so this kind of leads to a question of saying, well, what happens when we think we're telling the truth, but it turns out that our words aren't as true as we thought they were? 
And there's an example of this right in the book of Acts. And Acts tells the beginning story of the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection. The book of Acts tells what the early church did. And in Acts chapter 18, we have this encounter. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Now, this is quite a while before Paul sent and stationed Timothy in Ephesus that we looked at earlier. This happened before that. And this is what it tells us about Apollos. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. That means when John was baptizing people before Jesus began his ministry. And so when Priscilla and Aquila, two believers in the early church, heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Now, here's what they do that's really important, is they recognize that Apollos is teaching well, that most of what he's saying is true and accurate, and he obviously has a gift of being able to preach and speak and lead people to Jesus, but there's parts that he's missing. And so Priscilla and Aquila, this is a a wife and a husband, had a private conversation with Apollos to teach him about Jesus. And just as a side note, Whenever the authors of Scripture put people in order, when they name two people, the order they put them in matters. In fact, this tells us that Priscilla, she was the one who took the lead in teaching Apollos about Jesus. And so, to Apollos' credit, he listens to them. See, sometimes when someone comes and wants to correct us or maybe teach us something, our pride makes us defensive. And we say, no, 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 I can't be wrong, I must be right. And so we actually have to get over our pride sometimes. In fact, I, uh, even as I was preaching the series, I went back and I looked at previous times when I've talked about false teachings. And, and there's often times when I go back and I look at old sermons that I've taught, and I kind of went, wow, they let me get away with saying that? That's totally not how I would say that today. In fact, all of us, our theology, our study of God has to grow and change as we learn more about who God is. And so to Apollos' credit, he took their correction. He listened and he learned. And then this is what the book of Acts tells us about Apollos next. Apollos refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos had a strong ministry after this point. In fact, there's a, a, a theory that Apollos may have been the author of Hebrews, stemming back to this way that Apollos had this trait of being an eloquent and strong speaker, that maybe he was the one who wrote Hebrews, but we don't know for sure, but it's, it's kind of a cool theory. See, if someone is simply mistaken in their knowledge of God, they will welcome correction if it's done in a loving way. And earlier in this uh, summer, we did a series called How to Be a Jesus Follower in 2020, and one of those weeks was about how to give and receive correction well. So I'm not going to dive into that right now. But what if it's not just a simple mistake? When someone has embraced false teaching, when someone has kind of taken that and said, no, this is truth, this must be truth, it takes a deeper level of relational trust and ongoing dialogue to discover the truth together. 
In fact, this is why we talk so much about faith being something we live out together. Because this is when we have to walk in a relationship with people, to have conversations, to discuss and discover this together. Simply trying to push facts, having a facts versus facts conversation likely isn't going to change anyone's mind. In fact, our human nature is to entrench ourselves whenever we're confronted with something different than what we already believe. And so it takes time, it takes dialogue, it takes a friendship to be able to get over those cognitive biases that we all have. So how do we recognize when something is false teaching about God? How do we recognize and see what isn't true? So what I want to do here is I want to give you kind of four big categories. In fact, I'm calling them the big four of false gospels. And, and there, this isn't to say there is only just four, but if you look at false teaching, times that scripture has been twisted and warped, they kind of fall into these four categories. And so the first one is the happiness gospel. This is the gospel that says God's whole purpose must be to make me happy and give me an enjoyable life. This, this says that you know God must want to just give me good things and make my life smooth and wonderful and enjoyable and pleasant. But that's not always the case. Sometimes our lives are hard and difficult and we go through difficult seasons and that does not mean that God has abandoned you. In fact, one of the hallmarks of our faith is that God is with us even in times of suffering, in times of doubt, in times of difficulty. And the next one is the prosperity gospel. This is the form of the gospel that says, God just wants to bless you with riches and wealth. And if you go deeper into this, underneath the prosperity gospel is this really damaging teaching that says, if you aren't wealthy, it's your own fault. You've sinned. You haven't confessed something to God, so you have to root that out, and then you'll be wealthy. And while it's true that there are times where there's things in our lives that we need to give up and let God heal and forgive, but that doesn't guarantee we're going to be wealthy. That's a man-made construct on top of the gospel. And the next one is similar, but has an even more difficult side to it where it says the security gospel. And that is a belief that God's whole purpose is to make us feel safe and secure. And this one really comes out often in times when, when people are facing sickness or disease. Even right now, as you know, worldwide, we're facing a global pandemic. The security gospel is very appealing because it says that if we are faithful, God will protect you from all harm. But again, there's this damaging underside of the security gospel that says if you get sick, if you're not healed from the, the sickness or disease or whatever's happening in your body, that it's your own fault for not giving that to God. And again, that is not true. Jesus himself said and pointed out at this time when there was a man born blind and his disciples pointed out and said, hey, why was he born blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, it is neither of them. That understanding that sin equals sickness is not how Jesus sees the world, is not how God created the world to be. And the fourth of these false gospels is the supremacy gospel. And this one is especially damaging because this is the gospel that says we are God's favorites or this group of people is God's favorites. We're the insiders. Everyone else is an outsider. And this is the false gospel that when taken to the extreme perpetuates racism, perpetuates injustice, and really, it's just plain awful. 
Because the entire story of Scripture is about God calling everyone to himself. All the way back from Genesis all the way to Revelation is the story of God making the outsiders insiders, of inviting everyone into a relationship with him. So if these false gospels perpetuate awful times of spiritual abuse and worse, why are they so attractive? See, all of these categories of false gospels have these common traits that make them attractive to us. There's portions of it that we look at and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if that's how God actually worked? Wouldn't it be nice if God just wanted to make me rich? Wouldn't it be nice if God just, you know, wanted to protect me from absolutely everything and I would never experience any discomfort in my whole life? Wouldn't that be nice? But each of those approaches actually take God out of the picture and make us the gods that God must serve, and that's not how it is. So where do they come from? All false gospels are based on either exaggerating a portion of truth or claiming that a promise that or claiming a promise that does not apply to us. So what do I mean by exaggerating a portion of truth is that there are little bits and pieces of especially those first 3 that I mentioned that are true. There's a little part of that that yes, God does want to bless us, but the blessing that is constantly talked about in scripture is the blessing is God's presence with us of us living in a close relationship with him is more important than gold and riches and anything else. So all these false gospels take some little piece that was true and exaggerate it. Now, the last one, the supremacy gospel, is more based on this second part about claiming a promise that does not apply to us. Now, there are thousands of promises in Scripture, but many of those promises were conditional. And on top of that, many of those promises were given to a specific group of people at a specific time. And so for us living in 2020 to say, oh, that promise applies to us, doesn't always work that way. So how do we figure out when something is false? The easiest way to recognize what's false is by knowing what's true. There's no point in, in wasting our time studying all these false gospels. Instead, it's better to just focus on knowing what's true, and then we'll be able to see what does not align with truth about God. And so I want to give you kind of a shortcut on this. How can we know the truth about God? And this may seem kind of basic, but we're getting back to basics in what will lead us to truth. And so the first one is this, read the Bible widely and deeply. This means when we read scripture, read longer passages of it at a time because we're more likely to grasp the context of what's happening. You know, maybe read through an entire book of the Bible over a time period of days or weeks, but read it in chunks. Read chapters at a time instead of individual verses. And then on top of that, read deeply into it. Most Bibles will have some form of a study note at the beginning, or there's even study Bibles that include extra background information those can help us recognize the historical context. Because individual verses can be easily misunderstood and taken out of context. But when we read longer passages of scripture and learn from these study notes, we can get a bigger picture and a deeper understanding of what God is talking about in scripture. In fact, back in June, we did a series that's available on YouTube called Bible Study, How to Read the Bible. And I actually think this is probably one of the most important 
message series that I've ever spoken because what we know about the Bible, how we read it, how we understand it, shapes so much of our faith. And so learning how to read the Bible well protects us from even mistakenly veering off into the realm of false gospels. It'll help us stay focused on the truth. So what's next? After reading the Bible widely and deeply, and actually not after, kind of these things are more all together at once, saturate yourself in good teaching. Again, don't bother learning all the false gospels that are out there. Instead, learn the true gospel. Find sources of good teaching. And part of how we discover good teaching is we have to evaluate and question teaching sometimes. In fact, I actually invite people, like if I say something in here that you disagree with, I would rather you have a conversation with me and I am totally open to having a conversation with you about anything I've ever spoken about here rather than just turning off and and finding another church to tune into. Because when we have those dialogues and conversations, that's where we will find truth together. And on top of that, there's this passage in Scripture. It's one of these verses I wish wasn't in Scripture, to be honest, where James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to a group of churches. He includes this warning. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. As a pastor, as someone who teaches Scripture, I have a responsibility before God to ensure that what I am saying is the truth to the absolute best of my knowledge. That's why things like education and why being part of a larger group of churches it matters and is important to me because I am accountable both to our congregation, to our board of elders, and to our denominational leaders to ensure that what I'm saying is true. Now, that's not to say that you need to have a a degree to read the Bible well, and that's not true at all. But it does mean that those of us who are teachers in the church, we need to invest in our knowledge and understanding about God on a regular basis, and I hope that's something that shows. So after we saturate ourselves in good teaching is this one that is so critical. It is to be discipled by mature believers and test what we learn in community. Faith is not meant to be a solo sport. We need to learn from people who have walked this path longer than us. I am indebted to the people who have mentored and discipled me, and I only hope that I'm able to kind of in some ways repay that debt to my mentors by helping other people. And the second part about testing what we learn in community. Right now we're taking kind of an informal approach to life groups and encouraging people to kind of connect how you're able to and feel safe in ways that that are taking care of one another, to have conversations about faith. And this can be over a phone call, a distanced coffee, you know, in a group over Zoom, something like that of, of sharing what we're learning. And in fact, it's when we share with one another, you know, this is what I was reading in my devotionals. I'm not sure what it means. Or maybe I think it means this. When we have those conversations with people, we can sharpen each other and we can share from each other's knowledge and collectively grow in our faith. And lastly, and probably most important in all this, is to learn how to pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. And to do that requires all of the above. It requires us knowing Scripture so we know what's true. It means saturating ourselves in good teaching, more than just sermons, more than just messages, but that applies to like books and social media and the pages we follow, podcasts and more. But when we 
pray and listen to the Holy Spirit, when we learn to hear the Holy Spirit's promptings, the Holy Spirit can lead us into truth. Because that's one of the things that Jesus told his disciples on the last night he had together with them as he's trying to explain what's going to happen next to his disciples. He tells them, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. The Holy Spirit desires to lead us into truth, to teach us more about who Jesus is. But we have to learn how to hear the Holy Spirit's voice. And we've done series on that that aren't here on YouTube, but you can find them on our website on the podcast and listen to them. Because here's the point that I want to kind of drive home on this, is that if we pursue Jesus, especially when we pursue him together, we will find truth, we will find our purpose, and we will find the fulfillment that Jesus offers. And when we get a glimpse, when we recognize the depth of a relationship with Jesus and what that leads us to, the allure of false teaching becomes very dim. And we'll look at it and say, why would I ever want that when I have the truth? And so I want to wrap up with one last passage of Scripture. And this is a passage that comes from Jesus' prayer on that same night he had, the last night with his disciples. Jesus prayed, and he said that this prayer was not just for his disciples that were with him then, but it was for everyone who would believe in Jesus because of the message the disciples would share. That means this prayer applies to us today because Jesus explicitly said that it would apply to us. Jesus said this, he said, make them holy. And holy means set apart for God's purposes. It doesn't mean self-righteous. It doesn't mean to be above others. It means to be set apart for God's purpose. It means that God has something specific for us. Jesus is praying, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. He says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus is sending us into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Truth matters because we are made holy by God's truth. And truth matters in more than just our faith. Because as we've said so many times in this series, our credibility as followers of Jesus relies on us being people of truth. And so my prayer for you listening and watching this now is may you be known as a person of truth. May you be known as someone who speaks the truth, who lives the truth. When you speak people recognize that what you're saying is based in truth. But in order for that to happen, we need to examine and test ourselves first. Are we people of truth? Are we living the truth the way that Jesus calls us to? And that's a heavy question to wrestle with, and I hope it's a question that makes you ponder and think as you read Scripture and as you go about your days. I just pray that we would dive into these things as a church. And so, that brings this series to a close. The truth is out there. We just have to find it sometimes. But when we realize that we are pursuing it, God's truth is trying to find us too. Now, before you, uh, we get to the end of this video and our online service for today, I just want to share a little bit about next Sunday. 
Next Sunday, we are beginning a new series called Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. And you might be thinking, why are we getting into this? Well, this is a series that is probably going to make us uncomfortable, but I also believe it's going to make us better. That as we talk about how politics and faith intersect to help us understand what is our calling as followers of Jesus, and it's probably not what you might be thinking it is right in this moment. But if you want to learn more about this, I really want to invite you to join us next Sunday for our online service as we dive into this new series called Talking Points. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this message, for being invested in your own spiritual growth. And I hope that this leads to conversations. You can contact me at the church easily. There's a a link in the description that will get you in touch with me and I would love to have a conversation with you. Or maybe this is something you'd rather have a conversation with a friend about. I just want to encourage you to do that. So I hope you have a great Sunday, a great uh, rest of your week, and see you online next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca, and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.